Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for our Congregation at Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is July 21st, Wednesday. We continue our catechesis in the book of Acts, in the book of Romans. Um, we're now going to have Paul appearing before the Sanhedrin, um, which will happen that council before there's a pl another plot against him, and then he'll end up being uh, sent off to the Romans again and to appear before a couple different Romans. All right. Uh, which, of course, then describes the uh, life of those who preach and teach within Christ's church is that it doesn't always uh, go well for them. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't expect it to. And uh, yeah, we'll hear more about that on Sunday as we'll recognize St. James the Elder which falls on Sunday this year, so we'll recognize him. Good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, verse 23. Our psalm for this week is Psalm 119, beginning in verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discern like dross, or discard like dross. Therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. First reading today is from Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except, the, except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist 
will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Famous passage, uh, you've heard it referenced probably frequently over the last 18 months or so in regards to uh, mandates and obligations passed down by civil authorities uh, and whether we are obligated as Christians uh, to obey them uh, when they, for example, are unjust or go contrary uh, to the faith. Right? So, I must obey God rather than men. That's not what uh, Paul is talking about here. He's building upon everything we've read for the last 12 chapters in that the state is a gift from God that is given for the sake of, what does he say? As it being a terror. Um, to evil works, right? An authority to punish those who, to execute wrath on those who practice evil. That's what they're there for, right? Um, and then taxes are the means that they use to pay for that, that, that God uses to provide for them. Right? The subject here is not whether all authority um, is to obeyed in all cases, right? But the subject here is to say they have a very particular vocation, which is to execute wrath on those um, who do wrong, right? And uh, to what? Does he also say? Yeah, to praise those um, who do good, right? That's their job. Um, and as long as they stay in their lane, then they're doing the vo- they're within the vocation that God has, has given. If they, if they operate outside of that, of course, then um, it's a different conversation, right? So this is very important. Recognize um, civil authority is God's messenger. Of course, if you read the scriptures, Paul is quite dependent upon the Old Testament history, right? And you see that uh, both good kings and evil kings for Israel, or foreign kings, I think Cyrus, um, or think Nebuchadnezzar, God uses them for the benefit of his people, right? They're always his instrument, regardless of whether they recognize that, or regardless of whether in the, in the moment it seems that they are doing good for God's people. He's always working um, the, uh, the civic estate, we'd call it the uh, political estate, for the benefit of his people. Right? And it may be for the benefit of their repentance that they stop trusting um, in rulers who are but mortal and will are earthborn and soon decay, as we sing in the hymn. All right, so just a little catechesis there on Romans 13. And now we continue in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 22, verse 30, uh, into chapter 23. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, He released him from his bonds. Remember, this is the commander, right? And commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Excuse me. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? 
Hmm. And those who stood by said, do you revile uh, God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees um, and the other part and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. (laughs) Well done, Paul. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. All right, very good. It's a humorous story. You can see uh, Paul is actually quite uh, savvy in his rhetoric and his public speech. He doesn't say more than he needs to, right? But he does say what's needed. All right, so let's uh, ask some questions and answers here and do a little little uh, filling in the back, uh, back end a bit. How did the commander, remember that's he there in verse 30, how did he plan to figure out why Paul was accused? All right, this is the reason he calls the council, right? Commanded the chief priests and their whole council also known as the Sanhedrin, right, to appear the next day, and he brought Paul in and set them, him before them. And then he's going to bear, he's going to bear witness to it, right? Going to see what, how do they, or what accusation do they bring against Paul? He has a simple word for them. Men and brethren, what? Yeah, I, he has lived in all good conscience before God until this day. All right, so this expression, good conscience, is really important. Um, it's used frequently in the Lutheran confessions um, because it's taken right out of the scriptures. So um, both Peter and Paul use this expression frequently in the New Testament. So we should probably look at some of those examples. Uh, the first one would be in 1 Timothy 1, verse 19. I'll back up a little bit. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, concerning the faith, having suffered shipwreck, of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, now there's a lot packed into that, but you see, fight the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. Uh, it comes up again later in First Timothy, Timothy 4. Um, which is towards the end of the book. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. All right, so there he really feel, fills in 
What does it mean to have a good conscience? Their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Right? That's actually a bad conscience. Paul uses the expression in Titus, right? So when he writes his pastoral epistle to Titus, um, the testimony is true. Oh, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And even their mind and, there's that word, conscience, uh, which is sinitis, sinitis, yeah, um, are defiled. Their mind and conscience are defiled, impure. Oh, that's interesting. Now, we talked about conscience quite a bit as we studied the book of Hebrews, uh, formerly on Wednesday evening, and we're finishing it out on Sunday mornings. Um, Hebrews 9. So it's been a little bit since we looked at this. Um, uh, I just figure out where to jump in here. Now, when this is verse 6 of chapter 9. Now, when these things had been thus prayed, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, that's the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, and the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing, the holiest of all being Jesus, of course. Verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, only concerning with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshy ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So he has a good conscience in regards to foods and drinks, various washings and fleshy ordinances by way of the the cleansing blood, right? But not perfect in regard to conscience. That is before God. That will come in Christ, right? But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come and with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Pay attention here. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, pay attention, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Right? So there you go. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cleanse your body or your flesh concerning food and drinks and washings and fleshy ordinances, the law, but rather cleanses your conscience, right? Um, By creating in you a clean heart, purifying not only the flesh, but the whole person from dead works to serve the living God. Isn't that brilliant? All right. And then he brings up conscience again, the preacher teacher to Hebrews um, in chapter 10. Uh, again with Jesus. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Right? So there, there it's quite explicit, right? That the evil conscience is been uh, washed clean 
with the sprinkling of blood, right? Christ's own blood. Uh, Peter uses this idea of, uh, or talks about this idea of, of the conscience as well. Notice that none of this is like uh, the conscience has confessed by Disney. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about conscience here? The conscience is uh, how one perceives one standing before God. That's what we're talking about. All right, so 1 Peter 3, um, listen to this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason, for a reason, for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you, your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, right? So my conscience is clear. If I have to suffer on, on beh- because of confessing the truth or acting in love to my neighbor, so be it, right? My conscience is clear before God. That's the key. Um, we don't do things um, to win favor of men. We do things in, because they are according to faith, all right? Uh, skip ahead a few verses, though. Still in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So baptism gives us that good conscience before God. Again, the sprinkling of Christ's blood, here it's water through baptism, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. All right, so we have all these expressions about the conscience. And here Paul says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Right. In other words, I've lived in my baptism. I've lived trusting in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Um, is he saying that he never did any wrong? Of course not. We just heard about that the last couple of days. Right. But he's saying that he is forgiven freely in Christ, um, for Christ's sake. Right? Washed clean in the blood of Christ and baptism and trusting in the righteousness of the one revealed by the law and the prophets. All right. All that's packed into one little expression. How's that? Of course, then the high priest, Ananias, how did he react? Yeah, he commanded those who stood by, this is verse 2 there, to strike Paul on the mouth. Um, this is, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. One of the officers um, nearby Jesus, uh, when he was before the high priest in John, say John 18, uh, was struck on the mouth as well. What does Paul call? The uh, the high priest, verse three, you whitewashed wall. That sounds familiar. Jesus, Matthew twenty three, called the Pharisees and scribes whitewashed tombs. Yeah, Matthew twenty three. Um, now this has an Old Testament precedent, though. This whitewashing, um, I'm reminded of uh, Huckleberry Finn, right at the beginning, where uh, you know Huck Finn manages to uh, deceive all of his friends into doing the work for him whitewashing the fence why would you whitewash the fence it hides all of its imperfections everything that's underneath it right it makes it look better even though it's still the same fence um consider ezekiel 13 ezekiel is probably a book that we should take the time to do a bible study on although it's pretty intense but that's no reason not to uh, to teach it right um you know this it is tom sawyer all right huck finn I thought, well, anyway, I got corrected in the chat. It's Tom Sawyer. Is that the one? With the, mm, mm. It's Tom Sawyer who convinces the friends, but it's in Huckleberry Finn, the book. I think that's right. Okay. 
I'm only supposed to teach the Bible here, not the uh, Tom. What's or what's his name? Oh shoot, I just lost the author's name too. There you go. Uh, American literature. All right, so. Because indeed, uh, I'd better back up a verse. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor will or nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying peace when there is no peace, and one builds a wall, yeah, Mark Twain, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. All right, so peace where there is no peace, and one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall, that there will be flooding, rain, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones in fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall and you will be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus I will accomplish my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more nor those who plastered it, that is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her where there is no peace, says the Lord. Well, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? So there's the background for this whitewashed wall, the untempered mortar, right? And that's Ezekiel uh, prophesying that the false wall that they had built uh, with their false teachings will ultimately be destroyed by the Lord. Um, those standing by, what, uh, what, those bystanders, what, what did they ask Paul? Yeah, didn't he know he was reviling God's high priest, that he was talking to the high priest? Of course, Paul responds, quoting a scripture, right? Shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I did not know, brethren. Um, that's from Exodus 22, verse 28. All right, so let's see, 22 verse 28. Yeah, that's right. It's in this context. Um, it's just a whole series of moral and ceremonial principles, right? The one right before it. Um, if you take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before his sun goes down, for that is his only covering. Is It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be... That when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe fruit and your juices, etc., etc. All right. Um, there's a similar expression in Ecclesiastes. Uh, verse 10. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Oh, even the birds talk. <laughs> or is it the walls that speak? Yeah, it's the walls that speak. Um, yeah, you shall not... So he quotes the second half, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people, but uh, it's worth noting the first half from Exodus is you shall not revile God. He leaves that part out. That's interesting, isn't it? 
Uh, then Paul realizes that some of the of the Sanhedrin, of course, are Pharisees and some were Sadducees, and, and uh, he's going to use that to his advantage, right? The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection um, of the dead, so he's going to point that out to them. Uh, how did Park then, Paul then spark the controversy? Uh, he cried out that it, he was a Pharisee and that the real reason that he was being judged or he was on trials because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. All right, which is true, right? Because he's confessing Christ as um, the resurrection and the life. Uh, but there's a, probably a bit more background to this controversy between the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, consider Luke 20, for example. Uh, let's see here. And some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. The second took her as a wife, and he died childless. The third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, um, last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, remember these are people who don't believe in it, whose wife will she become? For all seven had her as a wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given into marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. All right. Um, but then think all, that's Luke volume 1. Think Luke volume 2, that's Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4. Now, uh, this is Peter and John. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's what was bothering them, the Sadducees. And they laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and a number of the men came to be about 5,000. All right, so we'll note here that these Sadducees had tried to trap uh, Jesus on the resurrection and later had seized Peter and John, and put them on trial for teaching the resurrection, right? So, so Paul's right um, that that's the trap that the Sadducees will set. He uses that to his advantage. Um, now, what did the Pharisees do at this point with Paul? Yeah, they found no evil in Paul because he was a Pharisee. <laughs> advantage, Paul. If a spirit or angel had spoken through him, they should not fight God. Uh, this is very similar to, I think, the end of is it John's gospel where um, they say, well, just let him go. Um, and, oh no, this is um, John chapter 10, right? I believe where, the, where it's argued that uh, Jesus should just be let go um, because if he speaks according to God, um, they wouldn't be able to stop him. And if he speaks contrary to God, God will uh, take care of him. All right. Yeah. So that was at the trial of Peter. And John, that Gamaliel said this, it's Gamaliel who said the same thing in Acts chapter 5, actually. Yeah, not John 10 with Jesus, but with Peter and John in Acts 5. All right, now the um, Pharisees want to 
pull Paul to pieces. It's actually Jesus as well in John 10. I think the same thing happened there. Somebody have to look at that. Or John 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, so now the commander's worried because it sounds like uh, there's another riot going to happen here and they're going to pull Paul to pieces. So um, he's now has a burden upon Paul because of his unjust accusation against Paul, Paul being a Roman citizen. Um, so he needs to rescue him. So he commands the soldiers to take Paul by force, verse 10 there, um, from among the council and take return him to the barracks. All right. So I kept saying it's John 10. Let's just check it. Remember, this is with the healing of the blind man. Um, opposition at the Feast of Dedication. Yeah, no, that's not it. Maybe it's John 9 then. I'm going backwards. I'm looking here. Yeah. Well, certainly Acts 5 with Peter and John. I'd have to do a little bit more digging here. I can do it another time. But he heals the blind man, um, and then they're just like, well, just let him alone. All right. Good. Meditation on this text. Paul, like all the baptized, has a good conscience that is given by God through the cleansing waters of holy baptism and preserved by the word that is preached. The Pharisees and Sadducees had not listened to Jesus or to Paul, but clung to their false teachings to the physical walls of Jerusalem and the temple, and to the institution of their high priest as ruler. They had become revilers of God, for they trusted in the words and deeds of men rather than the word of the Lord. They were like whitewashed walls, for they covered their conscience with their own whitewashing of the rules of men and would wear, that would wear away, and would not stand in the final judgment. Paul looked to the great high priest, through whose death and resurrection he had received the forgiveness of sins. Like Paul, we have been called to trust in the righteousness that is imputed to us in Christ. For this is not the whitewashing of men, but the giving of the white robes of the Lamb. Excellent. All right, we confess the sacrament of the altar. What is the sacrament of the altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, under the bread and wine, instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and to drink. Where is this written? The Holy Evangelist Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write, Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? These words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. We pray. O Lord Jesus, by your words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, you teach us to believe that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given us through these words. We give thanks to you for the precious gift of your body and blood. Forgive us for taking this gift for granted, for doubting your promises, and for trusting in our own merits as we approach the altar. Give us firm faith in your words that we might know with certainty 
that where there is forgiveness of sins in your body and blood, that there is also life and salvation for us and for all who believe in your promises. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. On this Wednesday, we pray for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the Word of God, for parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. On this day, we pray in Thanksgiving with Dawson and Gabriella, who celebrate their baptism. Continue to pray Thanksgiving with Tyler and Elizabeth, who were married on Saturday. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Jeremy, Kelsey, Amanda, John, Timothy, and Janice, Sandy and Ken, our homebound Bev, David, Roy, Willis and Janice, and Mickey, the missions and mercy work of the church, Compassion International. Uh, We pray in intercession for the preservation and increase of all faith and for our sister congregations of our circuit. We pray for those who are grieving, especially Jim, at the death of his brother Roy. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the Collect of the Week. O God, whose never-failing providence orders all things both in heaven and earth, we humbly implore you to put away from us all hurtful things and to give us those things that are profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, actually, before we do that, today actually is a commemoration. So uh, it's the prophet Ezekiel, who we heard quite a bit from before in regards to the uh, untempered uh, mortar, right? The whitewashed walls. Ezekiel, the son of Buzi, was the priest called by God to be a prophet to the exiles during the Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel 1. In 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army brought the king of Judah and thousands of the best citizens of Jerusalem, including Ezekiel, to Babylon. See 2 Kings 24, verse 8. Ezekiel's priestly background profoundly stamped his prophecy as the holiness of God in the temple figure prominently in his messages. For example, Ezekiel 9 through 10 and 40 through 48. From 593 BC to the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple in 586 BC, Ezekiel prophesied the inevitability of divine judgment on Jerusalem, on the exiles in Babylon, and on the seven nations that surrounded Israel, Ezekiel 1, chapter 1 through chapter 32. Jerusalem would fall, and the exiles would not quickly return, as a just consequence of their sin. Once word reached Ezekiel that Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed, his message became one of comfort and hope. Through him, God promised that his people would experience future restoration, renewal, and revival in the coming messianic kingdom. Ezekiel 33-48 through Much of the strange symbolism of Ezekiel's prophecies was later employed in the Revelation to St. John. All right, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through the prophet Ezekiel, you continued the prophetic pattern of teaching your people the true faith and demonstrating through miracles your presence in creation to heal it of its brokenness. Grant that your church may see in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the final end times prophet, whose teaching and miracles continue in your church through the healing medicine of the gospel and sacraments. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, now we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. Um, today, let's, uh, let's sing the last stanza of our hymn. 819 ran a little bit over today. Christ's holy name. Give God the praise and glory. Let all who know his power proclaim all of the wondrous story. Cast every idol from its throne, for God is God and he alone. To God all praise and glory. I know, you probably like to sing the whole thing, but we're, like I said, we're running a little bit long, so that's all right. Good. Good to have you all with us here today. Quite a bit to think about there, especially in regards to the conscience um, and to how to speak the truth uh, without fear of Repercussion is to speak the truth in love, uh, to speak it according to faith, right? Not uh, what you think of as true, which is uh, the reality that you construct, but rather the truth, who is Jesus Christ, okay? And let that inform how you understand what is real. Very good. Lord be with you all. Keep you safe. Uh, We'll see you again in the morning, and you're welcome.